0: Welcome to Paranormal. We are blessed to have pretty much everybody here. Uh, Trey Strickland is with us and Doug Overmeyer, Brian Godawa, Doug Van Dorn and Natalina of course. Uh, everybody's here uh, probably because this you know was sort of a you know a topic that uh, we, we've chatted about before and I think that everybody's interested in uh, pretty much equally, or maybe, you know, m- maybe there's a little variation there. But when uh, I suggested this, this was a pretty quick yes. So our topic for, the, for today is Bigfoot DNA. Uh, Trey, we should mention that uh, we're honored to have Bigfoot with us uh, since you are here. If anybody... <laughs> <laughs> we have pictures to prove that too. We have pictures to prove it. Yes, we do. Uh, when, uh, the, the, the YouTube, uh, TV show, I guess we'll call it uh, fringe pop debuts, you'll know what we're talking about in the wider audience, but, uh, uh, I have a studio where we're filming that and Bigfoot, uh, did pay a visit to the studio and we have uh, pictures to prove that. So beyond that photographic evidence, uh, we want to talk about Bigfoot DNA Now, a few years ago, just to sort of set up the topic, this became, um, Really, a focus of a lot of attention, 2012 to be exact, uh, through the work uh, of ostensibly the, the work of Dr. Melba Ketchum, who is a veterinarian. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to recap that before we jump into it. But what we decided to do for this episode was we all uh, got copies of Ketchum's study, and that's sort of an exception to what we do here. Ketchum's Paper it was not peer reviewed. and That's part of the the bugaboo uh, about her work. But as far as the, the the title of the paper, I'll just go and give you that. Uh, Ketchum wrote a paper called "Novel North American Hominins: Next Generation Sequencing of Three Whole Genomes and Associated Study." She was not the only contributor uh, to the to the paper. There are a bunch of others, but you know she was the sort of lead person and the major figure behind it. And then we also read uh, something by Brian Sykes and a few other people. Sykes is sort of a an important name in Bigfoot DNA research. Uh, he uh, is associated with the Institute of Human Genetics at Wolfson College, the University of Oxford in the UK. Um, again, he's sort of been at the forefront of, of being willing to genetically test uh, hair samples, that sort of thing, to see if there's any genetic evidence for Bigfoot. And then we read uh, a response to that short article by Sykes and his associates, a short article by C.J. Edwards and R. Barnett that, um, I, I guess it's fair to say, took a little bit of umbrage with Sykes's article. Sykes wasn't responding specifically to Ketchum. He was. His article was on uh, the genetic analysis of hair samples attributed to Yeti, Bigfoot, and other anomalous primates. So, basically, it was a survey of samples, uh, and then the response to him by Edwards and Barnett basically said, "Well, you know, you, we're going to quibble with this one identification that you made. It's not this, it's that." But it, the response is not saying, "Hey, you missed something," and there's really you know, genetic evidence for Bigfoot, uh, but it is nevertheless a response, and it was it was short. And then the last thing that uh, I sent everyone was a, a fairly lengthy and very technical article by Haskell Hart entitled, DNA as Evidence for the Existence of Relict Hominoids. Uh, and I, I picked this article because I, I think... You know, even though it's technical and a lot of it, you know, went over my head, I, I think this is a, a serious article that tries, to some extent, to be a little more friendly uh, to Ketchum's work than not. Uh, and we'll talk about again where you know what Hart actually says. But I wanted to try to find something that doesn't just sort of beat the dead horse. Uh, even though it, I, I think it's it's fair to say it deserves to be beaten. But this this guy was trying to again be a little. A little more friendly, a little more positive um, about the inquiry generally, and then Ketchum in particular. Now, for our audience who might not be sort of oriented at all to this topic or Melba Ketchum, I'm going to read a few things, make a few comments to sort of set up the episode, and then we'll we'll jump into it. Uh, back in in 2012, 2012, there was big news that Bigfoot DNA had been found, isolated, preserved, and tested. And the central figure in that was Dr. Melba Ketchum, again, who again is a veterinarian. She has her own veterinary laboratory. It's called DNA Diagnostics. And they issued a press release about the testing that was going on there. And it it reads in part as follows. A team of scientists can verify that their five-year-long DNA study, currently under peer review, confirms the existence of a novel hominin hybrid species, commonly called Bigfoot or Sasquatch, living in North America. Researchers' extensive DNA sequencing suggests that the legendary Sasquatch is a human relative that arose approximately 15,000 years ago as a hybrid cross of modern Homo sapiens with an unknown primate species. That's two lengthy sentences. Obviously, this was was pretty explosive. And what the gist of this is that her lab, again, was working on sequencing 20 whole mitochondrial genomes. That's what you know what, what they specified in, in the press release. She said in the in the release that they were doing something called that she called next generation sequencing that allegedly again uh, you know produced this evidence. There was a lot of questioning like what, what does that mean? There was, uh, you know, her, her, she, you know, referred to her research as novel, and in the title of her paper, she actually uses uh, that word uh, again, implying again that that they've got something new here. So almost immediately, you know, after this press relief press release, excuse me, there was, you know, a lot of hubbub, as you can imagine, and people started uh, reacting to it. Now, the short version of what happened is that news of her study got leaked before she could she and her associates could submit the work to peer review you this is i'm just giving you the story here and it was leaked on facebook by somebody named igor bertsev who is quote i'm just reading a You know, an external source here, quote, the self appointed head of the Russia based International Center of Hominology, unquote. So it's this Russian guy that apparently knew Ketchum was following what she was doing, and and he just leaks it on Facebook. Now, the exposure on Facebook prompted Ketchum to just say, well, there's no point in submitting my work to peer review, which side editorial here is a kind of a strange response i mean why would that stop you but she said we're going to forego peer review and we're just going to release the research because now it's out in the world via facebook and so she released her paper that i I just gave you the title of and the means the, the the mode of releasing that paper oddly still was through a a a website that purported to be a journal an academic journal entitled de novo now it, it came out after people looked at this that Ketchum had bought the url she'd created the website she she literally made up this journal you know trying to make it look academic and launch this paper out into the wider world and uh, i'm just going to read an, an excerpt here about that whole event regarding the origins of de novo that's the the journal that ketchum made up and the website associated with it. Ketchum said on the day of the paper release that an unnamed journal had accepted the paper after peer review was completed, but their lawyers advised them not to publish due to a disreputable topic. Instead of continuing to shop the paper to other sources, she decided to acquire the rights to this unnamed journal, suspected to be the Journal of Advanced Multidisciplinary Exploration in Zoology. Looking into the history of that journal, investigators found it was registered under Ketchum's name on January 9th, 2013. This led to serious ethical questions about self-publishing, which is sort of the opposite universe of peer review. The de novo website was created on February 4th, 2013, just nine days prior to the release of the paper. So again, this was a hurry up. Sort of make it look academic kind of thing, and Ketchum basically took a beating for that, or has taken a beating for that ever since. And once the paper was out there, there were some serious people uh, who responded to the paper. Uh, all sorts of problems, you know, came up, and we can talk about uh, some of those. Um, just, just brief. I'll give you two, just briefly. There was a fellow named David Winter who's a PhD in evolutionary biology, and she act, he actually repeated the sequencing of, in Ketchum's studies. In other words, he redid the work and found a number of flaws. And I'm just going to quote uh, here from something about him, about what he did. The DNA sequences did indeed contain matches to human chromosome 11. There was a lot of undetermined DNA, and some that in part matched to other animals pandas, dogs, bears, thus the whole sequence, uh, all the sequences do not resemble any known animal and, the, and are contradictory with evolutionary biology. Now, that, that last statement is especially the, the problem, and that's what people have zeroed in on, because any animal, any you know primate biological life form, more broadly speaking, should have discernible genetic traces to some other animal. Again, regardless of how people feel about evolution, we know that you know there are related life forms on Earth, and they share genetic traits. So to have something that has no link to anything else suggested to people in the field that we've either got a hoax here, or the or the specimens were hopelessly contaminated. There should be in the whole sequences there should be some relationship to some primate because that's actually what Ketchum claimed. She claimed to have a hybrid homo sapiens with another primate. Well, th- that means like that, that a lot of these sequences are just junk because they're not related to anything. So in other words, if Sasquatch is real, it ought to have some genetic relationship to another known animal like a primate. But Winter, again, in his, in his repetition of the sequencing, said these samples don't. And so they're either phony— or they're just hopelessly contaminated, and it's all just a huge mess. You know, I'll leave it there. There have been other people in genetics that have commented on it, said basically the same thing. The study just doesn't make sense to them. And people like Brian Sykes, whose article, and again, short article, you know, on sequencing samples, and another guy named Dr. Jeff Meldrum, Jeff Meldrum, who's at Idaho State, he's become kind of, famous for taking, you know, Bigfoot studies seriously. They have both distanced themselves from Ketchum's claims uh, and her study for for these and other reasons. So I just want to jump in here. That, that That's sort of the basic background to this. Uh, anything you sort of read on the Internet that talks about Bigfoot DNA is going to be traceable to Ketchum uh, because of the events of 2012 and following. So to the rest of you, what do you – what do you think? I mean, what what did you uh, what did you get from the articles? Did you come across anything else, or have you in the past come across anything else that might uh, be relevant, you know, to what we're talking about?
1: Well, I'm just going to go on the record and say that I believe in Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I'm, I have mean, you
0: had have you had like a sighting or anything like that? Cause, nope, you know, <laughs> nope, you, it's you, just you a- weren't in Montana, but you were. <laughs> closer than any of us. I don't know. Maybe it's Colorado. Closer. <laughs> I
1: have, I base it on nothing other than I just want it to be real. But, um, I've always been interested in Bigfoot. And I think it's just because of the number of eyewitness accounts um, and how far back in history the accounts go back to the Native Americans. And I just don't have a problem with it, you know, that, that there would be something existing out there in the Pacific Northwest. Or, you know, I just drove through the Ozarks not too long ago, and it's just a sea of trees. And I'm like, there could definitely be something out there that we've never seen However, um, I don't think Melba proved that <laughs> in any way. Her paper, I will give her this, was much more entertaining than the other ones. It had pictures <laughs> of like Bigfoot being burned at the stake and like. <laughs> <laughs> so she wins on that on that front, um, yeah. but. Uh, and, and her paper was much easier for me to read, which might be an indicator that it's less sciency. But um, it seems when I'm reading hers and then I compare it to the way these other uh, articles are written, she'll talk about, you know, these extensive decontamination procedures that she went through. And she'll use phrases like, we used scientific um, methods to, <laughs> you know, to ensure... Uh- that they were not contaminated, but she doesn't say what they were. And it seems like that's one of the main things that everybody jumps on is like, you can't just say we used science. You have to tell us which, (laughs) (laughs) you know, what exactly you
0: did, because then that's a good point. That's really a good point because when you, when you say exactly what you did, that allows experts to evaluate what you did. But if you don't, it's just like, Oh, okay. You know, like a guess.
1: Yeah. And I found that a lot of the other articles sort of referenced that in the sense of like, you know, Ketchum claims that there was no contamination and that she used certain procedures. Unfortunately, we cannot say what, whether that's accurate or not, because she never says what those procedures were. Mm-hmm. So I think she just, and and maybe she did use sciency procedures, but the fact that she didn't say what they were, it's just, it's, the first nail in her coffin because I yeah, could it, say it I use science. Suspicion.
0: Yes. Yeah, it it raises it it creates doubt. It, it's a it's a foothold for you know a question like what are you hiding? You know why why not? Why wouldn't you just tell us?
1: Yes, why wouldn't you just say it? And um, I, I think that also her paper reads. In such a way that it's a foregone conclusion that these are unknown primates because that's how she refers to them before she even gets into the details of of what she did to come to that conclusion. You know that they're they're definitely referred to as um, you know unknown hominins. And um, I found the other journal entries or the other papers you had us read a little difficult because of the. The really scientific DNA language, which obviously I'm I'm not an expert at, but it just seems that the conclusion that most people, other came, most other people came to, was that a these tests were probably not done properly, and insofar as we even know exactly what she did to to ensure that the te- the samples weren't contaminated and. You know, what they did test, they came up with things like polar bear and horse and, and, and things like that, which obviously and from some of the same samples that she used. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just wasn't convincing, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Anybody else? Thoughts, impressions?
2: I liked the fact that Hart's paper ended it with some actual recommendations. uh, Yeah. To you know, what can we learn from this initial research? What advice to help future investigators? And then the first one is obviously common sense, but it's use forensic techniques in collecting, transporting, and storing samples. And then there's there's several other um, tips or recommendations, but it just seems like common sense to use mm-hmm. forensic techniques and such and doing Yeah, you this. would otherwise you would you're think inviting so. criticism and skepticism.
0: Yeah. And that point, you know, again, you use forensic techniques, you know, he actually gives a few sources. One of them was a TV series where, you know, there's a biologist that actually shows you, you know, the viewer, okay, here's how you would collect something, you know, in in such a way that you don't contaminate it again there. So it's a positive thing. Like if you come across something in the woods and well, here's how you do this to avoid problems down the road and, you know they're they it alludes to a couple other publications again just trying to educate the public this is how you do this so that, so i i liked that as well because it's not dismissive you know it, it, he doesn't get to the end and say look don't worry about it cuz you're never going to find anything cuz this is all a bunch of hooey they're saying you, you well you might find something unusual and don't mess it up you know here here's how you would go about collecting it so i yeah, i would agree i thought that was a a strength of the of the last one as well Anybody else, any Coloradoans, anybody have a Bigfoot encounter or any thoughts on?
3: Never had a Bigfoot encounter. I've climbed a lot of mountains in my day, but I've never seen one. But uh, that that actually leads me to something that I, I thought was interesting that probably none of the rest of you saw. At the very end of this Sykes article, he gives acknowledgments. And the first acknowledgment he gives is Reinhold Mesner. And if anybody knows anything about the climbing community at all, he's like, probably the greatest climber that's ever lived. Wow. And, uh, I mean, he was, he, he's just done incredible things, uh, but he's, he's, he's had a lot of controversy in his life. One of them was over the death of his brother, uh, early on in climbing and not knowing if he had anything to contribute to that or not. He's a strange character, but the first person they think is Reinhold Mesner and it's for submitting samples and their progressive stance in doing so. So I looked it up, and Mm -hmm. I I had thought that he had some kind of a Yeti background. Turns out he had seen a Yeti in one of his Himalaya uh, climbs. And so he spends the next 12 years like completely obsessed with trying to prove that the Yeti is real. Mm -hmm. And then I think the year's 2000, he comes out with a book that that uh, he says, nope, it's not real. It's, it's some kind of a rare bear, not real at all. So I thought it was interesting that here's a guy who has totally laid his cards out on the table, you know, mm-hmm. a dozen years before this article is written. And uh, I just, I don't know quite what to do with that, but I thought it was pretty interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I sure wouldn't have caught that, that name, you know, that had any significance. It's really interesting, actually.
4: That kind of segues a little bit with something that intrigued me in the Ketchum article. Figure six was a map of the geographic locations where the samples, 111 samples, which I think in, in like the paranormal community, that's going to signal like, oh, something, 111. But anyway, where they were collected, and one of the samples apparently was in like central Illinois, north, north central Illinois, which is north of where I live. And I have to tell you it's just cornfields up there. I mean there's there are, there's nothing, you know, maybe maybe it meant over in Indiana somewhere, but there's still not a lot of woods. And I, I was c- curious who these yeah. samples came from, what's the story behind them because when you drill down to one of the stories uh, of one of the samples, I mean, Hart discussed it. It came from a shooting and and I think Ketchum's DNA evidence said, "Well, it's an unknown, you know, it's 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 an unknown hominin." But uh, Hart says, "Well, no, actually, it was a bear," and and then if you do a little research, uh, yeah, I went to Hart's website and and he said, "Well, the reason this particular shooting that the person who submitted the sample said said it was a bear in a private conversation with Ketchum is because he didn't want to be accused of shooting something that may have been human, <laughs> so he submitted bear samples." So it's like you know the, you can't just take you can't take samples random samples from the community out in the world without context mm-hmm. like where's the sample come from who you know and some of these they find uh pyramid struct not pyramid structures but they find uh shelters that are almost like teepee shaped without you know just a bunch of bunch of branches put yeah. together as a shelter and say well this is a obviously a sasquatch uh you know home out there and then they put a a fur trap so like or a hair trap in there, you know, like, like a sticky tape. So that if an animal runs, runs, rubs against it, it's going to collect some of its hair. And I, you know, there's pictures of it in the ketchup article and heck I've seen those out in our local nature center and the nature people did it, you know, it's, it's, so it's just, you just can't look at an artificial structure and say, well, we don't know no. who did that. So it must be Sasquatch.
0: Yeah. Th- th- those are two good points because on, on the one hand, how many, how many you know people who are talking about samples would actually you know plot them out, look at a map, and then look at the one in Illinois or, or any of them, New Mexico, okay, Arizona. It's not a whole lot of forests there, you know. It did, you know is the is the environment conducive to this kind of creature? What would it eat? Where would it get water? A cornfield? I mean, what what it hides in cornfields all year long? You know. In other words, you know, is there some evaluation to where the sample was collected, that would sort of make sense if, if presuming a little bit, you know, that, that, okay, this is what it might be, you know, just, just doing a little, you know, inquiry, a little sort of deductive reasoning, you know. How, how many times do you see that? Well, the, the answer is not, you know, not very often. So, yeah, that it's just a good point, you know. It, you, you sort of, the reader and and someone, you know, who's really interested in the topic, can be predisposed to believe a conclusion when that stuff isn't there. You know, like the, I've seen those structures too on TV that that you're referring to, and you know, if other people use them for other reasons or or, or whatever, that ought to be part of the conversation. You know, to to not you know predispose viewers or, or readers or whatever. You know, that that ought to be you know part of the of what people are asked to think about, you know, to draw their own conclusions, but often it's not, you're, you're right. It, it's, it's totally stripped of context. And then a context that someone wants to be there is sort of all that is there. Any other thoughts? I you mean, know, I, I have a, a couple things to, to throw in here. Yeah. You know, and, and Ketchum. If for those who are interested, we'll put Ketchum's uh, paper up and then you can look at some of these pictures that people are referring to. I want to, I want to go to the, uh, to the last article because again it was i liked it because they they were trying to be friendly trying to be helpful trying to be positive um, he says on page this is hart's article on page 21 to date no rh no relic hominid has ever been or has been proven to exist by dna sequencing so he, he's he's honest uh with that there is no dna evidence however absence of evidence is not Evidence of absence, as noted by Sykes. Again, Sykes, you know, he's a serious guy. He's at Oxford, so they're they're willing to suspend dis disbelief, but they they say, look, you know, we gotta we gotta be honest, you know, with with what we're talking about specifically here, the DNA, um, you know, methods. So I I think that's important. I'm kind of with Nat, you know, this. I don't know how the rest of you feel, but I don't see any inherent difficulty or any inherent like, oh, this can't be the case, you know, to have some, you know, hominid, you know, you know, creature that people thought was extinct and, you know, isn't, or something else that's just not, you know, known, you know, to people in, in fields like, you know, primatology or evolutionary biology or something like that. I, I don't, I just don't have a problem with that. So I, you know, you get all these reports and it's like, if even one of them is truthful and on target, if even, you know, just, just one case, well then, you know, then you've got something that's, that's unknown. So, I, I just appreciated the uh, the set of articles because they're they're trying to take the subject seriously. They're being, I think, pretty forthright with the Catchem problems. And there's, there are just a, a number of them. Again, as you read through the the evaluation of of her studies, but yet they're not dismissing the whole thing. They're not throwing the baby out, you know, with the bathwater. So, again, I I think it was worth. You know, looking at, at at the topic, but if 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 listeners are thinking, "Wow, you know, you know, maybe there is something to this," this being there's DNA evidence for Bigfoot, I think we're we're all in agreement that no, that isn't the case. But the larger topic itself is sort of still on the table. I mean, how how do the rest of you feel about that?
4: I think you can't dismiss tens of thousands of eyewitnesses. I mean, I, I think there's a I think there's, there's an answer, but I, I'm convinced that this DNA evidence is, is, is not it. I mean, the DNA, there is no DNA. I'm kind of on board with what Hart, Hart said. And, and I agree, he was, he was, he's sympathetic to the, mm-hmm. to the idea, to the worldview. And, uh, I think, uh, it, it's good. I mean, just as an example, Ketchum says, uh, well, you know, we have this DNA strand and you compare it to other human primate DNA and it's. It's obviously it's it's new and different and and Hart says, Well, no, that's because it was a bear DNA. You need to compare it to other bear DNA, and then you'll see that it's it's that's what it is. And it's just it's just like
0: her you article think, needed, Yeah, you it, would think that would be the first thing you think of doing.
4: Yeah, it, it should have been peer reviewed. It's just what you said. It, it's too bad because it it creates needless hype. You know, even even uh, the catch on article, she she says Well, you know, obviously this is a hybrid between a human female and some unknown male. I'm like, well, that's going to just trigger all sorts of interesting uh, ideas. And I I was just I was annoyed at the needless rabbit trails because I think it needs to be there may be a paranormal. I think I think there is a paranormal thing going on. um, And and these articles don't address that. But and and that's fine. That's not what they're trying to address. Uh, But it's just. This is important. I I, I like the study and I, I think it's there's something going on. I don't know what it is, but this is good.
1: Yeah, I was trying to figure out why all of these really serious scientists and academics were even bothering to respond to this, but I think it's because you know, it got so much press and it got so much attention that I imagine if you're a scientist or you're an academic and you see something like that out there, you get kind of indignant about it. You know, like, why is this being, you know, thrown around out there as though there's scientific evidence for something? And all you have to do is look at the paper to see that, you know, there's red flags all over it. So I imagine that's probably why they felt the need to respond to this as a topic. But I still think when it comes to, Bigfoot or other, you know, entities that would fall into the cryptid realm. I think that the best evidence is still the eyewitness accounts and which are historically, you know, questionable, even in a, in a courtroom, you know, eyewitness accounts always are debatable, but I think it's the number of them and the the reports that, like I said, go all the way back to you know, Native American writings about hairy men in, in the woods and, and all of that, I just feel that there's something, something to it. And, it and, and of course, we know historically that, you know, there was a time when people thought that the great panda was a myth and the gorilla was a myth. And it's possible that there is something wandering around in the woods that maybe isn't even paranormal at all. Maybe it's just a unknown primate out there in in the woods um, that's just always lived there. I mean, it begs a little bit of credulity to imagine that there's this sustained population of primates for a thousand years and we've never ever managed to make definitive contact with one of them. I, I admit that's odd and that's probably where the paranormal um, or the supernatural type of uh, questions come into play. How are they able to evade detection all the time? But I don't have a problem with just the fact that there could be just a super normal animal out there uh, that's really good at hiding, really good at, you know, staying s- hidden and, Every once in a while, someone happens upon it. You know, since I moved to Arkansas, I live really close to the place where the famous um, folk, folk, I don't know how to pronounce it, folk, folk monster, you know, that the movie from the 70s, The Legend of Boggy Creek was based mm-hmm. on. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go check it out and see. I'll report back see if I see
0: anything <laughs> no, there you go. yeah and if you, if you do be sure to, <laughs> be sure to you'll tell be us. the
1: first to know
0: no i I what keeps me interested you know that there aren't like you said, okay, we got all these reports you know extending back no, never a body, never a fossil, never a skeleton I mean nothing but what keeps me engaged is is the Native American stuff and i and I make a distinction between Native American talk about um, sort of larger-than-life, you know, creatures, uh, because take something like uh, Adrian Meyer, Meyer's book, not not the first one, the first Fossil Hunters, which talked about how, you know, skeletons of dinosaurs and large prehistoric mammals in the classical world, uh, you know, over the Mediterranean, how they just amazingly overlap with fossil, discover you know, with uh, claims textual claims of giant human skeletons. I mean, it, you know, just cases of misidentification being the the source behind a lot of, of those kind of texts. And she did, did the same thing in Native American tradition. And and it's it's one thing where there might be, you know, maybe, a, you know, some Native American population center, and there have been like, giant sloth discovered there or some dinosaur you know. in other words you, there might be something that would explain why the natives would talk about this big hairy creature that's different than when you get sightings and you know again something historic that goes you know back pretty far before we've you know got sort of a hoaxing culture that isn't associated with those things. So that's the kind of Native American stuff that, that keeps me interested. Just sort of the normalcy of the way they talk about this. It's not blown up into some Native American creation legend or something like that. Uh, how they, oh, it's just it's an animal like anything else. Here you have a culture where people are used to living, you know, close to nature. They know what a bear is and they know what isn't a bear. I mean, they, they just know this by experience. And it's not sort of attached to some of this other stuff, these other possibilities. And th- there are things like that. And so you're left with either saying, oh, they're just all lying, you know, the, you know, or, well, maybe there's something to this. You know, it's, it's not this other stuff over here. We can account for a lot of these cases, a lot of these sightings, a lot of these stories, you know, could have a genesis, pardon the pun, in, you know, the remains of a giant sloth or something you know we we get that we get that but there's this other stuff over here that really can't be explained by those means and you have observers that ought to know the difference between something that's a bear and and it isn't a bear they they just should know because they you know they're historically they they live close to nature they they're out there now you know it, it they just ought to know they they're better observers than somebody from New York City who happens to you know go to the dude ranch or something you know it just they should know what they're looking at and so th- those kind of things keep me interested uh, and i think your examples are legit there have been animals that we just sort of take for granted now that a century and a half two centuries ago were thought to be myths that's just that's true so why can't this be one of those? I, I don't really see any reason to just totally wipe the thing off the table. So to me it's a you know it's it's it goes in the possible, you know, bucket. I don't I don't know how the, I'm I'm kind of interested in the in Doug's paranormal thing because I I I mean I, I kinda know broadly how that gets talked about with Bigfoot and i can't help thinking about andre the giant and lee majors and the 6 million dollar man <laughs> when, you know, when that comes up <laughs> but uh you know i, I but mentally i just don't go there i i'm 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 sort of with nat here that okay we got a specimen of something that you know we just haven't pegged down yet great that would be awesome uh so well, let's talk about the the paranormal thing, Doug, if if you want to. I mean, you know, I'm not going to twist your arm here, but well,
4: I just I was reading some of the articles on um, Hart's website, and there one of the studies that he cites, or that that's on there, it just looks at the demographics of people making these claims, a bigfoot sightings, and they tend to be gun owners, of course, because they're out in the woods, right? They tend to be Republican. Well, that's not a big deal because most of the countries outside of the cities are Republican, and they also tend to uh, claim to have UFO sightings, and so that was kind of a random thing in there, right? It's 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 okay. So if if people who see Bigfoot are also seeing UFOs, well, just like
0: people. See UFOs, experience ghosts, or some other paranormal thing. Yeah, now maybe that's
4: a worldview thing, and maybe they they're just automatically linking it. But I suspect not. I suspect there's maybe something else going on, and uh, so that's that's why I'm thinking that mm-hmm. something that's supernatural is cr- does it create fear in people? Does it get people uh, obsessed with um, with things? Maybe so. I, I, obviously, but, but I I'm not educated in the in the field enough to. Go beyond that broad speculation that if there's a link to UFOs with a lot of Bigfoot sightings,
5: but there's a lot of oh, go ahead. Oh, this is Brian. Um, Doug, I think there was one other thing in that list of traits that you didn't mention, and that is that none of them know how to take clear, sharp pictures,
4: (laughs) right? Yeah, (laughs) yep. And uh, that's the same with UFOs, right? How many clear, sharp photos do we have? And shaky, and they're always shaky, (laughs) yes. (laughs) <laughs> and that, that's something else. Like everyone has a high def camera now, so it's like, come on, you know. It's, that's why. But we know, everything can be faked with video, so it has to be. Yeah. If it's scientific, if, if you're going to have a believable claim, it cannot be video evidence. It you just can't.
0: Well, I hope Natalina's listening. Now, if you go out and look for any of these things, do not take a camera because that'll take increase it, the odds that, that take a dart gun something. and shoot it. No, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna bring a sketch pad and a pencil. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Tell it to stand still.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, but you uh, know, I don't know if we really wanted to go here. But I know that a lot of people in the fringe community consistently reference Bigfoot alongside Nephilim and I've never really fully understood how they get there unless it's like uh, like Doug mentioned that people could pull out of the the Ketchum article about like human animal hybrid is that how they get there I've seen so many people in now, And I know kind of who started it, but there's they'll talk about Bigfoot as if Bigfoot is a Nephilim, and I don't quite understand how they get to that. Does anybody know? Because it's always baffled
0: me.
4: I have an idea. It's because Hart says they're RH negative. Get uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are
0: you, does he say that or, or are you just no, looking at rh, no. in the R-H. R- <laughs> and he can't
4: find it so it's rh negative sorry
0: yeah <laughs> yeah R- for for listeners rh in hart's article is relic hominid it's not yes. blood. <laughs> that's a good example you can see how that could be read that way and people yeah. just run with it yeah yeah, yeah. well he well, says it, it's rh
4: <laughs> you know, the one of them, the red hair, they have red hair. And I've heard that Nephilim have red hair. And I wondered where that came from. So maybe that's the yeah. link people make, you know. I don't
1: yeah, know, but... Boy. You see it a lot. You see it. It's so common in this fringe community now where if you talk about Bigfoot, it's a foregone conclusion that this is a supernatural multidimensional entity that has some kind of link to Nephilim, and I've never understood. I mean, I'm down to hear your theories, but just explain to me how you got there because it's so confusing to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I I, w- I would imagine you could. you'd only need to press somebody on one, you know, with one or two questions they're going to be one or two questions deep on an actual explanation. <laughs> uh, and, and the explanation, I'm, I'm sure, you know, wouldn't have any coherence to it either, but no, I, I think most people would just hear these things from people they like, or they're sort of predisposed to wanting that person to be right, you know, because they, it would be cool or they like them or they're a good person and they, this other thing they do, I'm really into. And yeah, I I don't think there's any real specific testable, verifiable basis to any of it, which is, I think that's, what's causing your confusion. Well,
1: and, and I just want to know, like, Do you like even if you can't give me any scientific proof that uh, how you got there, you know, you're using the term Nephilim. Now give me like the biblical explanation of how you Mm -hmm. got there. Then give me some verses that made you jump to the conclusion that Bigfoot could have anything whatsoever to do with Nephilim. And I think it's just because they're tall and might have hybrid. Dization attached to him, and then people just go, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's
0: snuffling." Yeah, right. it's. I would think it's probably that simple. Anybody else want to chime in there? I mean, to, to me, this is like the elongated skull and double rows of teeth. Mm-hmm. Like, where's the Bible verse for those? You know, it just. But that's people are just there. They they just it's axiomatic in the fringe community. Well, of course, you know you know, Nephilim had long skulls and double rows of teeth. You, you moron. Of course they did. Yeah. All
3: right. So I'll I'll give it a shot, uh, where, where I think it might be coming from. I, I think it's probably a confusion of, uh, of Nephilim with like a, um, a Demi animal. So, you know, you think about like, uh, this idea of, uh, in Jasher, that, that weird book of Jasher, that there's like these, uh, Demi animal sort of creatures that are in there. And uh, the idea of a satyr or something like that—I like think somebody even in one of these articles even referenced Gilgamesh epic. So like a half a half god, half animal that the that the yeah. sons of God were doing things with animals instead of with men. So it would seem to me that that would be, you know, that that kind of a creature. So a Nephilim is viewed as a as a demon by the early church and the Jews when they die. So it would seem that uh, if angels were doing that with. Animals that that would also be demonic, so I would think that it's a confusion between what a what a Nephilim is and what like a, a satyr is or something like that.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. It's and and so their theory is that this is maybe some sort of a relic from uh, ancient. Hybridization between gods Mm -hmm. and animals, and that—that's probably it. And then, since we don't know what to call that, let's just call it Nephilim.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you know, yeah. There's there's so much confusion
3: about what Nephilim are to begin with, and that just kind of—it makes sense because it's such a popular topic right now.
5: If I can add something too, I—I—I mean, the way I see it is, it's really—it makes sense in terms of the way that normal mythologies develop. You know, if you look at storytelling and the way. Um, stories and myths develop over time. You know they're completely imbibed in, um, just like the Nephilim. Everyone just just researches every single possible detail, and then it gets to the point where it's it's a busting point where there's no there's nothing more. We need more detail, and so people start examining the oddities and anomalies that are similar. You know, in other fields or in other stories or you know situations like like Mike was saying, like the elongated skulls and the double rows of teeth and all that kind of stuff that and that if if it's close enough to sort of uh you know open up a new branch or open up a new idea while maintaining the original mythology and developing it. In other words, I'm not saying it's a conscious thing. I think that it's just the way these things operate. And that's how conspiracy theories operate too. You know, they they develop upon previous foundations that are assumed to be true and then new anomalies are added to it to develop it without necessarily needing to be connected to them. And um, you know, sometimes that's right. Sometimes most of the time I think it's wrong, but um, I think that that's just how the nature of how our imagination works as human beings. It can be used for good or it can be used for bad. That's how I see it, you know, which is odd.
1: Yeah. And it, it makes sense too, because if you think about, you know, um, early research, you know, go back to like the Patterson film and stuff, it was definitely like, this is an unknown primate. This is an ape. This is a, biological creature that that lives out in the woods and then over time we're like well maybe since we never can seem to catch one there's some kind of supernatural aspect to it and you can go all the way back to like the native americans and you can see that evolution in their thinking too because you know they start out just he's a sasquatch he's a hairy man and then it kind of you see um myths developing into like the Wendigo and, and things like that, where there's a supernatural component attached to it. So I guess that's true. That's just how our minds process yeah. things that are hard to understand.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: No, I, I, I think all that stuff you know, that you and, and Doug and have mentioned, they're probably all factors, you know, and yeah, in why people think about this the way they do and, and other things as well. You know, it just, you know at the heart of it you know as i you know hear that sort of thing from people and and read that sort of thing you know it just a, a, a bit of cynicism here i i'm thinking if if everyone knew how to avoid the avoid confusing correlation with causation a lot of <laughs> this would just die like <laughs> instantly uh and and that's really difficult for people to do the these two things are similar therefore one caused the other or one is the source of the other. Well, you know, again, why would we think that? Because there's, well, because they're similar, they're, they're alike. And again, people can't really see the, the logical flaw in that sort of thinking, unless you sort of give them a couple of examples where it obviously is not the case and it sort of alerts them to it. But, you know, we, I hate to say it, but People just aren't taught to think clearly, (laughs) you know, it's, it's something you either learn by experience or, you know, you, you know, you have something confront you that sort of wakes you up to that point, or you just sort of go on your merry way. And, and if that never happens, then it's hard to sort of stop and examine, you know, what, what you're really claiming, like what you're really being asked to believe or what you're asking someone else to believe. And typically that doesn't happen. My, you know, my, and, and I don't, I don't necessarily blame people for that. I do blame researchers for that uh, because you're, you're the one that that's putting yourself out there uh, publicly or in some forum as being a, an expert, you know, some sort of expert. And, and you're, you're someone that they should follow and listen to. You ought to be better than the average bear. You know, you, you, you ought to just, you ought to be aware of these things. And so if, pure, if you're, pure. Peer yeah, review exactly. is,
4: supposed to do, is supposed to get your blind spots. Yep. You know, if you're yep. imposing a narrative on your facts, that means you're gonna be blind to something. Yep. And that's what that's why you do it.
0: Yeah. You know, and and I mean I've I've been through the the peer review process. Your your whole dissertation, you know, and, and if you do a thesis or a dissertation, you know, ideally if you have a good professor, that's what any paper you do in college should be as well. But when you really get into we're going to give you a degree for this research project. Then, you know, your your advisors—it's really their job, you know—to to be your first exposure to to this thing that you've heard of called peer review, and they're they're supposed to be able to catch that. And that's why you have more than one uh, advisor, because and and in my case, I think it's the norm. Um, two of my advisors on my dissertation committee weren't even in Hebrew studies. I had a person in Asian studies and somebody from I don't know what what field they were but they're that's why they're there. They're not there to say, "Oh, well, you know, you messed up a Hebrew parsing here. They don't know that. You know, you know that better than they do. But they do know how to look at an argument and think about an argument and wonder, "Well, why did you not look at it this way?" You know, are you, is this a bias? I mean, they, they can do things like that. That's why they're there. And that's really absent uh, in the fringe community. I mean, let's just be honest. It, it, the fringe community not only doesn't have it, but the fringe community avoids it like the plague. Yes. And, so and what I have you a, get I have a is. a question about that. Sure.
3: Have, and I guess this is, I'll direct this to you, Mike. Um, have you ever heard of a guy named John Bender Noggle?
0: No, well, I would. I think I would remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Are you making that up? <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to. I
3: was trying to trying to listen to something about Bigfoot before the show started to get my mind thinking about it. This guy comes he up. He turns out. Toggle. He did his PhD <laughs> at University
0: of Wisconsin Madison. Okay. What what, okay. what was his
3: department? Um, some sort of wildlife biology
0: going to say, please don't say gender studies. Okay? No, 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 no,
3: no. no. no I mean, he's, he's an outdoorsy kind of a guy as long, long before you went there. But so he, in the discussion, somebody asked at the end of their show about, uh, about the peer review stuff and, and about why Bigfoot is not taken seriously. And then on his Wikipedia, they give a quote from him that says that, uh, let's see, the evidence doesn't get scrutinized objectively. We can't bring the evidence to our colleagues because it's perceived as tabloid. And, um, so, you know, we, we did, uh, four papers that we're talking about one very specific scientific field of research, you know, DNA hair analysis, really. Mm -hmm. Um, but is there other stuff out there like, um, peer reviewed stuff on, on the tracks of the Bigfoot that people have found or the voice recordings of the Bigfoot or I mean I was even thinking of like our vampire show mm-hmm. where it was almost like a psychology peer review of the of the kinds of testimonies that people give a Bigfoot. Because yeah, and yeah. I asked that because the it seems almost like the three papers that we read were they only came about because of the because of the one that made such tabloids in the first place. And it's like somebody wanted to to debunk it or you know it's finally out there so maybe we can talk about it
0: yeah there i i would say i i don't know specifically about peer review but i i in both cases i do know of people in like the fields of acoustics or somebody in primatology or or primate biology that would look at the structure of a of you know, of a foot and again talk about okay here's if this is a primate, here are the features of the structure, you know, and and they'll say that, you know, what we have here is, is anomalous. It's not a, it's not a fake, you know, it's not a human, you know, some who, if this is a fake, somebody knew how to create uh, an anatomically consistent print, you know, it's just stuff like that. So I know that kind of stuff exists like in books, different commentary. I've not looked specifically uh, for journal articles on those kinds of things, and the same thing with with the, the acoustic you know material as well. So, it, commentary on that stuff by field experts does exist, but I don't know if there are peer reviewed studies on either of those things. That would be something to look at, and, and you know, do another episode on. It would be kind of interesting. Uh, I know the, the 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 casts, you know, the the Bigfoot casts have gotten you know some pretty have gotten serious attention because again to someone in the field they they can look at a print and just know what should be there that's going to distinguish a print from a, a human or from a fake you know in other words somebody created this who just doesn't know what they should be putting into it if they're creating it uh, that that's that, that's gotten a, a good bit of attention um, meldrum you know for one you know has done some of that stuff because you know his field is is biology and he focuses on you know, primate stuff. So it's part of the reason why he's engaged. Uh, But I, as far as journal articles, I don't know. I'd have to look. Yeah. You know, I I think what, and Sykes actually says this in one of the articles, that really one of the reasons why he did this article and some other things is that he doesn't want people to be able to say that serious people, you know, and the peer review process is, just wiping this off the table, just, just avoiding it again. You know, there, he doesn't want that to be said. Now, you know, I think you're right though, that it's not just catch them, but, but post catch you've had more people get engaged who otherwise wouldn't be engaged, but there is, there is pre catch stuff where uh, people are trying to, um, you know, take, take the DNA seriously. I, I think it was Hart's article that actually Mentions one or two earlier uh, attempts, you know, earlier studies to evaluate some sample, you know, genetically. Um, But there, it's it's there. I mean, it has gotten some attention, but you know, I think it is fair to say post Catchem, people felt they had to say something or had to had to respond Um, because it's testable. You know, that that's one thing, and and so there are people in in the in the hard sciences that don't like the public. You know, being deceived, and they want to jump in and, and try to you know contribute something meaningfully. In in my field, it's stuff like the Jesus Wife fragment, the Da Vinci Code stuff. I mean that that created such a a furor, even a even if you could probably use the word hysteria in, in in some cases where you had people in Coptic studies, you know, take a look at this. You had people, you know. in in biblical studies or early Christian studies, just just chime in and do articles on. Okay, well, here's here's what here's the ancient textual evidence for Mary Magdalene. This is what you got. This is what it is. The, the Jesus tomb, the Talpiot tomb thing. You had epigraphers involved in that. You had you know really you know examining the patina of you know the you know the uh, the ossuaries. I mean, you, you had a lot of people get involved in that because of the public not only interest, but sort of public outcry, you know, the hysteria generated over something. So unfortunately, it takes that kind of response in the public to get some of these people interested. But at least, you know, I can't complain too much because at least they did, you know, at least they did say something. And, and you had, uh, you know, five, 10 people who, you know, were field experts in, in all of these different areas really take a, a significant role in trying to evaluate, you know, what's being said. And, and and that was a good thing. Maybe, maybe that'll lead to a, a greater willingness, you know, the next time something comes along that doesn't get as much press, but is still, you know, something that ought to be commented on. Maybe, maybe that'll help, you know? And I think what Sykes and Meldrum and some of these other people are doing is trying to do something so that they can't be accused of just, Outright dismissal beforehand, because that isn't scientific either, and he actually says that in in, in the one article that right. you know we shouldn't be predisposed to just saying this is just ridiculous because that's not the scientific process, so you, you have people aware of it one last thing again let's say let's say that Bigfoot's real, Sasquatch is real should that i mean there's two separate questions: will it or should it trouble? Christians again, who want to take the you know the Bible seriously, should it should it trouble them? Uh, of course, we're, we're we're talking about things like you know, hey, we have this life form that the Bible doesn't talk about. Anything as simplistic as that, all the way to you know the the whole discussion about evolution, you know, human evolution, and it you know, granted, it probably comes down to how if we had definitive evidence for Bigfoot or Sasquatch, how that how that whole Issue how the evidence is processed and put forth to the public. That's certainly a a big deal. In other words, how the discussion is framed is always a big deal. But any any sort of off the cuff you know impressions. Let, let's say we have Bigfoot, and somebody in, in, in your church comes up to you and says, "Oh, you know, I'm, I'm just so troubled by this. This I can't trust the Bible anymore. You know, this this means that you know this is a, a hybrid or something like that." And You know, where's that in the Bible? I mean, if you get some sort of uh, knee jerks, the wrong word, but just some sort of visceral response like that, what would you say? I mean, how would you, how would you talk about it?
4: I think I would remind people that humans are made in God's image. That means we are, we are tasked with stewarding the planet. And if there is a relatively advanced primate species in north america that means we probably shouldn't hunt them into extinction um and and that's just it that we are imagers they aren't and that gives us responsibilities that they don't have and that's just how i would would frame it It has nothing to do with evolution i mean we're not supposed to we shouldn't wipe out chimpanzees either you know and if you believe in evolution then we have a common ancestor with chimpanzee if you don't believe in evolution it doesn't you still shouldn't wipe them out i mean
0: it doesn't change the ethic yeah
4: right Gosh,
1: yeah, it doesn't bother me at all as a Christian. It doesn't bother me at all to think that it's like I said, you know. Did it? Did it um, uh, shake people's faith when they found out that panda bears were real? I mean, it just doesn't bother me. I think the evolution question comes in when you've got people saying, "Well, this is like a remnant um, population of Gigantopithecus or something like that." But even then, why is that? We know there's animals that once existed that. Are gone now that are extinct I mean so if we find that uh some little portion of these animals did not go extinct and they found a way to survive deep in the forests uh you know why is that troubling and I think that the the things about supernatural things being attributed to Sasquatch or any of these other yeti or any of these other creatures um I mean, obviously, that's all 100% speculation. I have no problem thinking it's just an animal out there like any other animal. And I don't know that there's like giraffes mentioned in the Bible or anything like that. But yet there they are. We can see them with our eyes. So um, it doesn't I I don't see why it would have to be a troubling thing.
4: I mean, I said something earlier. We were joking about her going out looking for Something I said. Well, take a dart gun, right? That would be evidence. Yeah. But then, but then I backtracked because if there is an advanced animal, why would we want to shoot it with a dart gun to, just to satisfy our intellectual curiosity? I mean, that's that's not stewarding the planet. So, like, that was part of that worldview I have coming out, you know. And I was, okay, it was joking, but I also thought, well, let's just backtrack. I, I don't think we should send hunters out trying to shoot Bigfoot if if it there is a a biological species out there that has some sort of social existence that would be terrible to wipe out yeah. another species I mean that'd be horrible so and that, we that's know
1: that just view. yeah and we know that just because an animal might even be highly intelligent it doesn't automatically mean it's some kind of human hybrid i mean dolphins are incredibly intelligent creatures um but that doesn't mean that they're somehow you know uh equal to or superior to us or that they're spiritual beings you know i mean they're just really really smart creatures that have a function in the in the world.
0: Yeah, I th- I th- in some ways, I think this issue would overlap like, okay, what if we had proof that there was an intelligent extraterrestrial? It's that people have been taught, Christians have been taught, an, an attribute centered explanation for the image of God, which is a deeply flawed idea. Specifically, well, it's intelligent. That's the image of God. That's, that image of God is intelligence. And so, boy, we can't have ETs out there; our, our theology is just ruined. And you know, the same thing here. If if we have a species that's intelligent enough to have you know social groups and use tools and whatever, oh, that, you know, it, it really stems from a flawed understanding. You know, really sort of bad exegesis and, and bad theology that would. Result in being troubled, you know, over this sort of thing. So I'm I'm glad to hear, um, you know, the talk about the images in terms of role, you know, in terms of stewardship, rep, you know, representing God, because that's, I mean, that, that's what it is. But a lot of Christians don't, you know, they don't understand that concept or even even that much nuancing to it. They they just sort of immediately assign, you know, a, the image of God phrase to a specific attribute, and and that just sets you up for you know, for a problem, I, I think I think it would be more problematic. You know, for a number of people, if we had a, a sasquatch specimen, and then that people were talking about um, interbreeding, you know, hybridization, that kind of thing, like like with Neanderthal. Okay, the, the whole X X percentage of the Neanderthal genome is different than Homo sapiens, and there's this this and that. You know, proof or maybe not. Maybe proof is a strong, too strong a word. Evidence that that suggests interbreeding. Well, if if again biologically, if it can interbreed, all that proves that, is that Neanderthal was human. It might be not, might not be Homo sapiens, but it's still human. You know, it, so you know you'd, you'd have that discussion: is it animal or human? And, and that's why I said it, it. It would really depend on how it's framed, because you know there'd be people who would use it to, you know, attack. A, a any sort of creationist perspective not just the young earth but any sort of creationist perspective and that might not be correct they, they, they might just be you know using data to attack something they don't like and misrepresenting what's actually going on you know so I to me that would be more of a concern that that the such a find would be framed in a certain way to be a little, to overstate the data, to exaggerate the data specifically to attack, you know, a faith community that, that I think would be a bigger problem. But anyway, I don't know how the rest of you feel about, about that. I, maybe I'm, maybe I have too low a view of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> I just think somebody would do it. <laughs> it wouldn't stop them from uh, overstating the data just to target something. Um, maybe the, maybe the scientific community wouldn't do that, but I'll bet, I'm. I'd, I'd bet my library here that you'd see it in the supermarket super impulse line with you know, the the, the tabloid type literature. They're, they jump to conclusions all the time because that sells copies. And who cares if it harms anything? The rest of you feel more positively about humanity. <laughs> than
5: I do. No, absolutely not.
0: You know, I just in in biblical studies it happens all the time. Medical studies it happens all the time. You know, the, the, the headline you read in not, not just People magazine, but even Time and Newsweek, it, typically those things are written by people that have a word count. They don't have PhDs. They've never done research. They're, they're combing scientific studies to come up with an article they think that the public will be interested in. And they write summaries that are imprecise and in some cases just wrong. And, but, but what they write, since it's read by more people— becomes entrenched as oh science says this like like genetic determinism is a big one Mm -hmm. you know the the genetic determinism is a myth but but how many people just buy into it because of the way it it gets reported the way it gets talked about you know it's it's like well, we could follow this up with an article in Epigenetics that talk about how genetic determinism really isn't determinism, but that wouldn't interest enough people so we're not going to do it.
4: It'd scare people like, "Oh, my decisions <laughs> right. matter." but it's kind of like an article in The Washington Post I think that had said there's thir- thirty three references to Elohim and the old and the Bible. I mean oh,
0: I yeah. blogged about that a couple days ago. I just I know I I have, just read yeah. that
4: <laughs> oh, like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> And they run with it, and so that gets into yep. the the consciousness of of yep. readers it's weird
1: and
5: and most people
0: don't read past the headlines
4: <laughs> right
5: nope. certainly not down to paragraph twelve
0: <laughs> where the answers yeah. are often revealed you know that's true that's true and it and, and honestly, it's deliberate and and people can call it journalistic technique all they want, but at the end of the day, if you're really skilled at this, you know exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm and you know what the result is going to be and you need to grow a conscience okay i, I it just it, it just doesn't fly with me to to call it technique or or this is the way things are done i i, I just don't care i don't care you have a responsibility
4: yeah it's uh, okay to read an article with a dictionary which is what i did with these articles you know it's okay to read something that you don't understand exactly but yet get through it and try to think about it critically as opposed to just distilling it to a tweet
0: yeah in the, well, I think we we need to be wrapping up here. Um, thanks again for participating and reading the um, stuff. Be thinking of. I mean, I, I as always, I have one or two ideas. But if you guys are just burning <laughs> to, to talk about something in particular, uh, you gotta let me know. Uh, chances are, I mean, you all have have really a wide exposure to to fringy stuff. So. Yeah, let me know. Feel feel free to suggest some topics, and then we'll we'll throw some things around and see what we find. But thanks again for um, for hanging in there, reading the stuff, and participating. It's been fun.
2: And Mike, yep. I found a uh, interesting infographic about Bigfoot sightings over the last ninety two years in the U.S. and Canada. So I'll put that up. at oh, yeah, dot com, so people can look at it. It's pretty interesting. It's probably
0: in my backyard. Is it is it stilted <laughs> toward the northwest?
2: Um, pretty much. Yeah. There's a high density mm. up there. Yep. Yep. But it's uh, basically the East all over the East too. Pretty oh. scattered throughout. So I'll post it up there. Hey. So people can take a look at it. And yeah, i put some
3: like high
0: <laughs> screech voice at the very beginning of the episode to really get <laughs> You know, I, I think I have a file of, of, of the Yeti scream, but you can, <laughs> I'm sure Trey could find it as well. But yeah, that's a good idea. Let's, let's do the Yeti scream. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> But we should save the Yeti scream for, for when we come across things that are just ridiculous like Yeti just scream
1: yeah, In every, that'd every episode <laughs> that would be
0: great yeah uh, the, the Yeti says no that isn't true <laughs> <laughs> you're giving me a bad name <laughs> alright well thanks a lot everybody